and welcome to You've Got to Read This, a podcast for those with a passion for reading. Each year, hundreds of thousands of books are published in the U.S. Millions are published worldwide. Join us as we navigate the world of books in hopes of introducing you to something new. I'm Michelle Dubois. And I'm Renee Seinfeld. And you're listening to You've Got to Read This. Our first book review today is an action-packed comedic fantasy novel titled The Adventures of Amina al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakrabarty. The novel takes place in the 12th century in what is now known as the country of Oman. The protagonist, Amina al-Sarafi, is a middle-aged Muslim woman and a reluctantly retired pirate. She is tall, strong, and swears profusely. It's been 10 years since Amina last sailed the seas, In her younger years, she was a brazen pirate and captain of her own ship, the Marawadi, and even married multiple times. These days, Amina's biggest adventure is patching holes in the leaky roof of her modest home. Though she is content with her quiet life, single-handedly raising her ten-year-old daughter in a small remote village near her mother, Amina longs for adventure on the open sea. The opportunity for one last adventure presents itself when the mother of a deceased former crewmate offers to pay Amina an exorbitant amount of money to rescue her kidnapped granddaughter. It is an unfathomable amount of money that would provide for Amina's family for the rest of their lives. Against the wishes of her own mother, Amina accepts the job and sets about assembling the remaining members of her old crew. Tinbu, her first mate, Majed, her old navigator, and Delilah, her frenemy, whose potions range from the medicinal to the murderous. Together, Amina, Delilah, Tinbu, and Majed embark on a rescue mission to locate the daughter of their deceased crewmate, but it's a rocky reunion. Their last time sailing together ended with the death of their friend, specifically the father of the girl they are in search of. Trust needs to be reestablished, and sins of the past need to be forgiven. A high bar for pirates. The man believed to have kidnapped the teenage girl is named Falco Palamanestra, a maniacal fanatic intent on power. Amina and her crew learn just how dangerous their mission is when they question a former associate of Falco's in the dark recesses of a dingy pub. In exchange for information about Falco's whereabouts, Amina places a bag of coins in the associate's palm, only to watch in horror as the associate mysteriously chokes to death on the very coins he pocketed moments earlier. Alarmed, Amina realizes magic is at play and that Falco may be a far more powerful foe than they expected, with abilities beyond anything they could have imagined. The closer they get to Falco, the stranger things get. The Adventures of Amina al-Sarafi and her crew takes the reader to places like Mogadishu, Yemen, and the island of Sokrota. Along the way, they partake in a prison break, a battle on the high seas, and narrowly escape a treacherous mob of possessed sailors. And as the motley crew of aging pirates attempt to track down the kidnapped girl, Amina unexpectedly runs into her estranged husband, whom she believed to be dead. Why? Because, well, she killed him. This book is such a fun romp. It's comical, it's mystical, and it's a wonderful adventure. Amina al-Sarafi is a funny, flawed, tough, and courageous character. The bantering among Amina and her crew is witty and entertaining.
Listeners, if you like adventure and comedy and a little bit of magic, then you've got to read The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakrabarty. Shannon Chakrabarty is a white American author whose best-selling series, The Dive Bad Trilogy, had her nominated for numerous awards. The first book in that series is called The City of Brass. The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi was published by HarperCollins in February of 2023. The author's last name is spelled C-H-A-K-R-A-B-O-R-T-Y. Our next review today is a book I have to confess I wasn't really initially interested in reading. It's a novel surrounding a story of Greek mythology, and though I really enjoyed learning about Greek mythology in 7th and 8th grade, it's not really piqued my interest as an adult. Yeah, there are so many good books out there to be read. It's hard sometimes to read something that you're just not really interested in. Yeah, but a friend recommended this book, so I felt a little obligated to give it a try, and I have to say I ended up absolutely loving this book. I've since started reading this book based on your recommendation and Jen's high praise. And even though I'm at the very beginning, it has grabbed my interest immediately. Yeah. The the novel is entitled Ariadne by Jennifer Saint. Ariadne, of course, is a character from Greek mythology. The story takes place in ancient Greece on the island of Crete, which is the largest of the Greek islands. Initially told in the first-person voice of Ariadne, halfway into the book, each chapter then passes between the first-person voice of Ariadne and that of her sister Phaedra. For a mini-Greek mythology refresher, Ariadne was a princess and the daughter of King Minos, who was the king of Crete. King Minos also ruled over the city of Athens. The novel unfolds the tale of Ariadne and her brother, the Minotaur, who is half bull and half man. The Minotaur is feral and dangerous and kept imprisoned in an endless labyrinth underneath the family's palace. As the story moves forward, the reader learns the history of how the Minotaur came to be half man and half bull, and that is a bit scandalous. In the story, once a year, the people of Athens are forced to send 14 young people, seven females and seven males, over to Crete to be released into the labyrinth to be eaten by the Minotaur. This sounds like the Hunger Games. It's, it's Greek mythology. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> it's kind of like Everything Game of borrowed. Thrones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this yearly ritual is a brutal punishment imposed by King Minos on the people of Athens, and the reader learns that history. This novel is also a coming-of-age story. When the story begins, Ariadne is about 18 years old. As a child, she always looked up to her father, believing he was a great and just king. But as she's awakened to more stories about him and witnesses his actions, she comes to the realization that her father is neither great nor just. Ariadne becomes acutely aware of how little she means to her father when he announces he's marrying her off to a despicable lech of a man. Her father essentially leverages Ariadne's life and happiness in exchange for copper from her future husband's copper-rich country. Ariadne is mortified to learn that her father sees her as nothing more than something to be traded for greater wealth. And so, on the eve of her wedding, Ariadne desperately seeks a way out of this marriage arrangement, meets a young man named Theseus, who is one of the seven young men to be sacrificed to the Minotaur. Ariadne and Theseus craft a means of escape. This is absolutely a wonderful story to get lost in. 
What I especially enjoyed was that numerous other stories from Greek mythology are pulled into the storyline. Stories, for example, about Medusa, Medea, King Midas, and Hades. This book rekindled my love of Greek mythology so much I have been devouring Greek mythology novels. I just finished A Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. It's a phenomenal retelling of the story of Achilles. Madeline Miller, of course, also wrote Circe, a huge bestseller that came out in 2018. I recommend the novel Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes, which came out earlier this year. It's the story of Medusa. We're used to the story being told from the side of Perseus. This story is told giving us Medusa's backstory. I have to say that several important tidbits were left out of her story when I learned about her in seventh grade mythology class. <laughs> <laughs> The novel Clytemestra by Costanza Cassati also just came out in May of this year. It's the story of Clytemestra, who is devastated when her husband, King Agamemnon, sacrifices the life of their eldest daughter to placate the Greek gods. Clytemestra must decide between acceptance of her husband's actions or vengeance and retribution. The novel Ithaca by Claire North was published last year and tells the story of the women on the Greek island of Ithaca who are left behind as all of the men of fighting age leave with Odysseus to fight in the Trojan War. Though all of these books are written by different authors, their stories all tie together because the mythological characters in these books cross over into the other novels. What I especially like is that these stories are often told from a woman's perspective or are sensitive to the issues women in ancient Greece frequently dealt with. If you're listening and it's been a while since you've read any Greek mythology, I'd recommend starting with Ariadne by Jennifer Saint. It was published in May of 2021 by Flatiron Books. Jennifer Saint is a white British author who, according to her website, grew up reading Greek mythology, and was always drawn to the untold stories hidden within the myths. After 13 years as a high school English teacher, she wrote Ariadne. She is now a full-time author living in Yorkshire, England. On a side note, I have to say there is something so lovely about finishing a good book on a Sunday. This morning, with tears in my eyes, I finished the book, The Song of Achilles, and within half an hour, you finished the book, Fourth Wing, by Rebecca Yaros. Fourth Wing is currently number one on the New York Times bestseller list for good reason. You're trailing a few chapters behind me in Fourth Wing, but we'll definitely be talking about this book in our next episode. Our next review today is a murder mystery. Certainly not a new release, but one worth checking out if you haven't read it already. The book we're talking about is The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Renee and I listened to the audio version released in June of 2020 by Harper Audio. If you missed this novel during the chaos of COVID, then we encourage you to pick it up, but especially encourage the audio version because the narration is so great. The audiobook features six narrators. Each chapter rotates from character to character and is written in the first person. And though six narrators might feel like a lot, it's not because the author identifies them by their role at the beginning of each chapter. For example, the bride, the groom, the plus one, the wedding planner, the best man, and the bridesmaid, which makes it very easy to keep track of everyone. The story takes place on a remote island off the coast of Ireland, where a high-profile wedding is to take place. 
Tension is created instantly, starting with a tumultuous boat ride from the mainland to the island, followed by ghost stories about the original inhabitants of the island. The wedding party includes the bride, a type A ambitious woman who is a magazine publisher. She is always in control, and public image is everything to her. The groom is a charming and handsome rising reality TV star. Seemingly a perfect match, how well do the bride and groom really know each other? Then come the gaggle of sophomoric groomsmen, the melancholy bridesmaid, the childhood friend with unresolved feelings, and his wife, the plus one, who feels out of place. All the while, the wedding planner struggles to keep decorum amidst a raging storm outside and an impending storm within the wedding party itself. As personal backstories are uncovered, tensions, jealousies, and long-harbored emotions increase among the guests. Misdeeds and secrets get revealed as a storm grows closer, all of it set to unravel this lavish, happily-ever-after wedding. This was such an enjoyable book, and what makes this mystery truly stand out is that you don't even know who's going to be murdered until close to the end of the book. As the chapters rotate, the author keeps you guessing because numerous motives surface for people seeking justice or revenge, and simultaneously, there are a plethora of well-deserving victims. Indeed. The guest list is a very satisfying read, or audio, because the author drops nuggets of information like pieces of a puzzle with each chapter. We would get giddy and excited when we gained new knowledge about a wedding guest as we slowly pieced together the mystery. We would wage bets and make guesses as to who's done what and what have you. Also enjoyable are the accents of the narrators. They're marvelous, and they make this atmospheric thriller come alive. The title of this book, again, is The Guest List by Lucy Foley. It was published in February of 2020 by William Morrow. The audio is 10 hours and 22 minutes of pure entertainment. Lucy Foley is a white British author of several books, including The Paris Apartment and The Hunting Party. She currently lives in London, England. Not to be confused with our previous book review, The Guest List, my next book recommendation is entitled The Guest Lecture by Martin Riker. In Martin Riker's novel, The Guest Lecture, an American female economics professor named Abby is lying awake in a hotel room next to her sleeping husband and their young daughter. Recently denied tenure at her university, Abby is fighting insomnia due to an overactive brain filled with fears and worries ranging from global crisis to personal failures. She's scheduled to deliver a lecture the very next morning based on the work of the now-deceased British economist John Maynard Keynes. In 1930, at the time of the Great Depression, Keynes wrote an article espousing, of all things, optimism for the future, predicting tremendous economic growth. He titled the article, Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. It is this piece of Keynesian economics that our protagonist is preparing to speak on. Throughout her restless night drifting between dreams, memories, and insomnia, Abby has an imagined conversation with Keynes. While Abby has a million reasons to feel downtrodden, angry, scared, and doubtful about the future, Keynes challenges her negative outlook and journeys with her throughout the rooms of her house, which are no more than the rooms of her subconscious brain. Together, they investigate her childhood and college years, 
matrimony, motherhood, and her plateaued career in a field dominated by men. It's a marvel of a novel combining economics and philosophy as tools to grapple with a hostile world. This relatively short novel takes place over several hours during one woman's sleepless and at times dream-filled evening. This novel could be easily adapted to a play and could prove to be a brilliant performance on stage. I enjoyed this novel for the same reason I loved being a student. It made me think. It made me inquisitive and analytical, even philosophical, about life. And amidst all of the world's problems, this little novel succeeded in making me feel cautiously optimistic. The guest lecture was published by Black Cat, a paperback imprint of Grove Atlantic in January of 2023. The author, Martin Riker, is a white American and co-founder of the feminist press Dorothy. He teaches at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. Our final book today is a nonfiction book entitled Cobalt Red by Siddharth Kara. The mineral cobalt is a part of all of our daily lives. Cobalt is in the batteries of our cell phones, tablets, and laptops. It's in the rechargeable batteries of electric cars. It's in automobile airbags and used to make magnets. Cobalt is also a drying agent used in paints and varnishes. And because it is used in so many things, cobalt is one of the most sought after minerals in the world. 75% of the world's cobalt comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, a country in Central Africa. In Siddharth Kara's book, Cobalt Red, he focuses on the Congolese people responsible for mining this valuable mineral. The Democratic Republic of the Congo is an incredibly mineral and metal-rich country, mining cobalt, diamonds, copper, gold, tin, nickel, and uranium. And one would assume a country so mineral-rich would be reflected in an elevated quality of life for the Congolese people. Grand cities with well-funded universities, museums, and libraries. Sound infrastructure with modern train systems. One would expect wealth evident in the same manner one sees in oil-rich countries like Dubai or Saudi Arabia. But in Cobalt Red, Siddharth Kara instead exposes to the world the reality of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, that the minerals and endless wealth unburied from the ground for centuries has consistently passed through the hands of the Congolese people and onto foreign-owned corporations and governments, and also, sadly, into the corrupt pockets of the country's former presidents. While gathering research for this book, Siddharth Kara traveled to the Democratic Republic of the Congo numerous times to investigate the conditions and quality of lives of Congolese artisanal miners, and what he discovered was rampant, systemic, modern-day slavery. Hundreds of thousands of Congolese people are responsible for hand-mining cobalt. Wearing no protective gear, they use pickaxes and shovels to hack the mineral from rock walls and the ground. These miners and the countless towns and villages Siddharth Kara visited live in abject poverty, making $1 to $2 a day. For context of how much money that is in the Congo, it costs $1 to buy a bottle of water. And let me repeat, the miners make $1 to $2 a day. Congolese miners and their families often live in shanty towns with no electricity, clean water, or sanitation. Because artisanal miners are paid so little, children work in the mines as well so that everyone in a family can produce enough money to eat. 
Robbed of their childhood and a proper education, children as young as six and seven routinely dig cobalt alongside their parents. The author, Siddharth Kara, risked his life and safety doing the research for this book. Military soldiers and private security firms hired by mining corporations frequently intimidate and threaten reporters to keep them from reporting on the conditions of the miners. In one instance, the author was shot at and threatened by soldiers. I have to say, I was absolutely gobsmacked reading this book. The information is so stunning and eye-opening, and it's written in such a moving manner. It's hands down my favorite book so far this year, fiction or nonfiction. You and I, Renee, have been talking about this book as you were reading it, and I could see some people ask themselves, well, why do I want to read a book about this if there's absolutely nothing I can do to change any of it? You know, I, I've got to use a cell phone. I'm not going to boycott paint because there's cobalt in it. What do you say to the audience who are having these thoughts? Well, I mean, I think I'd say, I think we'd all read a book about someone who is living with cancer, but we can't make them better. We can't, we can't cure cancer. I think a book like this is about awareness. It's about compassion. It's about, you know, maybe in the past we may have changed the channel if the news is talking about something going on in the Congo or, you know, some trade deal going between, you know, China and the Congo and these mines. And maybe after reading a book like this, you might actually like, wait, wait, hold on a minute. I want to hear that. I want to listen to that. Mm, this sounds like a familiar topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it also impacts, um, you know, who we vote for, how we vote. Someone who cares about um, human rights violations or are we going to you know choose someone who is really indifferent to it and they, they don't care what happens to these people so I think it's it's some of that too and that awareness you know presidents choose ambassadors so if we have a president who's indifferent about human suffering mm -hmm. you know, I prefer a president who would care about this and would be concerned about um, what's going on you know mm -hmm. in the lives of these folks yep. um, I think too if that still doesn't feel relevant to someone I think you know, corrupt leaders of countries are a danger to the entire world uh, when they put their personal interests first. And in the book, they talked about an incident in 2016, um, 30 cargo trucks registered to a Chinese mining company arrived at the border to leave the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And, you know, typically they're supposed to run um, Geiger counters, which detects uranium over vehicles. You know, they're, they're slack about it a lot. Well, someone had the foresight to actually use use it and they found uh in numerous vehicles they were smuggling trying to smuggle uh uranium out of the country and the u.s got involved and a lot of people have unofficially said that they thought the president of the congo at the time was well aware that that was happening so you know it's in all of our best interest to have and support you know leaders in other countries who are not corrupt so mm -hmm. that's important too um, and I think I also want to say, you know, if, if folks aren't really, they don't find nonfiction enjoyable and they might only read one book a year, this is really the book to read. It's so good. It's so eye-opening. I knew nothing of this. And, you know, I had read one other book about the Congo um, and th that book is its own um, tragic telling, um, King Leopold's Ghost by Adam mm -hmm. Hochschild. I remember reading that. Yeah, I think that came out like a, over a decade ago, and it talked about King Leopold's reign over 
uh, the Congolese people. And it was so brutal. And it's, it's just been centuries of enduring this trauma. And I think you can't think about a country or talk about a country without knowing all of that history. So mm-hmm. I think if anyone is interested, um, those two books are just phenomenal. Right. Gives you a greater understanding of where they are today. You have yeah. to know where they've come from. Exactly. Exactly. The book again is Cobalt Red by Siddharth Kara. Siddharth Kara is an author, researcher, and activist on modern slavery. He is an associate professor of human trafficking and modern slavery at Nottingham University in England, and he's a senior fellow at the Harvard School of Public Health. He is originally from Knoxville, Tennessee. His parents are originally from India and are of Hindu and Parsi backgrounds. Mr. Kara currently divides his time between the United Kingdom and the United States. The author's first name is spelled S-I-D-D-H-A-R-T-H. His last name is spelled K-A-R-A. Cobalt Red was published in 2022 by Macmillan. Thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This. All of the books we discussed today can be purchased on our bookshop page by clicking the link in notes. Make sure to check out as a guest when you make your purchase, and we will receive a portion of each sale that goes to the production of this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd appreciate it if you give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.